0: All right, guys, so before we get into the episode, I want to shout out my current and past Patreon members over at patreon.com slash t101podcast. Lucas Grudzian, Engelbert Sebastian, Ruben Dobson, Danny Pirate, Ami Prasad, T-Bob Art, Marie Spurlik, Oliver Mercer, and Michael Wellen. Thank you all for your patronage to the 101 Passion Project. If you want to join that list, get added content, exclusive benefits, early episodes, giveaways, all that fun stuff. Like I said, head over to patreon.com slash t101podcast. All right, so we are back with Heath from Serial at Midnight, and we're going to get into the the whole Serial at Midnight and, and where that came from, just in case anybody listening is not familiar, which, by the way, uh, in the show notes is going to be all the information that you need uh, for Heath and uh, definitely go check him out. So, uh, but we were just talking before the uh, before the pause there and uh, you were talking about how, because um, is it okay if we say how old
1: you are here on? <laughs> sure, yeah. yes. Let's lead with my age. Yes, I'm, so I'm 40. I'm 40 years old. <laughs> I just turned 40.
0: All right, so he's 40 and we were talking about how um, the app that we're using to record this episode, he's actually like been pretty okay with it and uh, very, very fluid with it. And, and I was just about to tell him that uh, like I've had um, Billy Ray, who is uh, a writer of movies. He uh, wrote captain Phillips. He uh, is writing the new terminator, dark fate. He's one of the writers on that this year. And uh, Mm -hmm. we had the hardest time, dude, we had the hardest time. He was like, "What do I do?" I was just mm. like, "All right, you search for Eddie Green's 101." He's like, "Okay, but where do I search for that?" I was like, "Go to the Listen section." Oh. It was just, it was just the most confusing thing. Like, was it easy for you, like, to just do this?
1: Yeah, it's 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 very easy. I just have never. So, can we say what we're using? Yeah, go ahead. So, we're using Anchor, which I know it. Like, I've heard of it, but I've never used it because. I don't know like you when you're on your own you do your stuff through your computer, I'm assuming right yeah, so anchor is one of those like I use Skype I've just uh, skype is is hardwired into me so the idea of using um I, I don't know I read that anchor owns all your your material that you do here do you you know anything about that um
0: that was originally I think the way that the uh, the platform was developed but uh-huh. it is one hundred percent. Uh, that's not the case anymore. Um, okay. Because right. I was definitely kind of, definitely weary about that, but yeah. uh, they definitely fixed it. And anything that is done here is pretty much all mine. It's just okay. uh, there's sponsorships that are that are applied through this. So that's really how they kind of right, uh, make their money as well.
1: No, I think Anchor is pretty. Uh, it's pretty intuitive as far as just how it works. But I, it was just I've never. Signed on to Anchor. I've never logged in or anything like that before, but no, it was it was painless. It's no big deal. Yeah, man. But I was just joking because I'm like I'm 40 years old now, and just, <laughs> what button do I push to talk? Do, do you know what is amazing to me is how many podcasts and interviews that I see and hear, and it sounds like people are on like a landline record. Like they're like, oh, uh, it's great to be with you here um, just talking about so Like so many people do not seem to be. Uh, not even tech savvy, but just like technologically um, aware at all. They're like just so many. So, okay, wrestling podcasts is one of the biggest ones. I, don't, I didn't, I was hesitant to say like, do I name who's the worst culprit? Wrestlers do <laughs> not seem to know how to talk. They don't seem to know what Skype is. They don't seem to know, like they're all the landlines, which is
0: crazy to me. Yeah, that is weird. I mean, what's kind of cool about this is, um, you know, I'm always learning. And and honestly, I think between the two of us, you would probably be the more technologically savvy, believe it or not, mm. um, just based off of what I've seen on your channel. And even just like the live streams that you've been able to do, like 100 percent, dude, I am not kidding. I used to do uh, on my channel and I still want to do it, but I just got to figure out what the next best option is. I used to do this show with another guy in Texas Mm -hmm. and we used Google Hangouts for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, you know, they pulled the plug on that. And I am just like, what do we do now? Like, (laughs) I am just like, his name's Gershom. I'm like, Gershom, what do we do, man? Like, and we just went through, like, we put time aside one day and we were like, all right, let's try, let's try OBS. And we tried it and, it wasn't working. It would just like, it would just focus on one camera. Like it wouldn't cut between us when we talked, you know? Yeah. I don't know what to do. Like I'm like, that's how non-technologically savvy I am. So, well,
1: there's a lot of options out there, but there's, I can't say that a lot of them are good. You know, everybody's mad at Facebook rightfully. So cause Facebook is kind of the worst selling information and stuff like that. But We've had really good experiences with Facebook Live. Um, We do our – so we have a Patreon campaign for Serial at Midnight, and our top tier has a – they get an exclusive – basically like an exclusive live stream just for that group. And we've started doing it on Facebook Live because it really gives you the control of like who can see this, who has access to this. And um, of all the platforms that we've tried, ironically, Facebook – is the best one because you can archive it you can save it you can bring people into the video if you want to like if someone's there and their camera they're set up for a camera you can add them into your conversation now what you're talking about is like focusing on different faces i don't i, I can't speak to that because i don't know but just as far as control and ease of use we've you may want to give it a shot
0: okay but like how did you do um Because you're like one of your most recent videos is with uh, Cinema Dave Media, who I also watch as well. And Mm -hmm. like, like, how did you accomplish even something like that?
1: That I don't
0: even think I could accomplish.
1: (laughs) We did that on Skype. So that was a Skype video. Um, Skype has a built in video call recorder. Uh, So if you talk to somebody on Skype, there's a little button in the corner where you can actually record. However, I will say that the recordings are not always reliable. Obviously, they're low grade, they're not great quality, so they're not HD. Uh, but we've had that video, actually the the video with cinema Dave had, (laughs) it had like a minute of corrupted footage in there and I I had to cut around it. So you wouldn't know from the video, but I cleverly edited the, like, it took me forever to figure out where it was, what the problem was. I could not export that video. I spent like six hours trying to figure that thing out. Just like, what's the problem? But I got to tell you something that's creepy, maybe cool, maybe creepy, maybe just a total coincidence, but the part that was corrupted in that video, there's there's a part where Dave and I are talking about who directed the Poltergeist, if it was Steven Spielberg or if it was Toby, Hoop- Toby Hooper, and that's the part that was corrupted when we were talking about, like, was it Toby Hooper? Because that's the part. I'm like, is Toby Hooper speaking from beyond the grave? And he's like, No, no, this debate shall end. <laughs> <laughs> I've had enough with this. <laughs> yes, and and Poltergeist too, right? So this is the whole idea of like they're here. So maybe there was there's something in that file, man. Okay, so Skype
0: is one of the options, but correct me if I'm wrong, you can't go live with that.
1: No, that's correct. You'd have to do it pre-recorded. Okay.
0: Yeah, see, that's what I kind of liked about the whole thing was that it would, you know, cut between us and it was live. So it was like the best of both worlds. Yeah. Um, I got, damn, I got to figure this out. But uh, anyways, um, so yeah, for, for people listening and, and for myself included, kind of, because I am really a fan of your channel and and your personality, and that's why I reached out to you. And I was like, I want to get you on here because you just seem like the kind of guy that that I would jive with right away. And yeah, what? So it started out as a, or it it's still going as a website. But you sent something to me right before we went uh, and started recording this that you seem to have been doing this for quite some time. So like, what's the origins of you getting into? talking about whatever you want to talk about
1: geekdom general geekdom, geekdom stuff so in 2006 i started podcasting uh on friends podcasts and um so i have a friend uh the comic book savant james uh is a long time podcaster he's been podcasting for 13 years as of this recording and okay. I would do guest spots on his podcast, and we talk about comics. Back in the mid-2000s, that was really the rise of the podcast when at first it was the voice of the people, and there was no Joe Rogan. There, like, There was nobody making money off of this stuff. It was just like a punk rock, kind of a pirate radio kind of a thing, and you could get away with all kinds of stuff. Nobody was regulating it. Nobody was advertising on it. It was just the voice of the people. It was like you know, public airwaves almost. You could just do whatever you wanted to do. So I was listening to comic book podcasts and um, all kinds of different – like movie podcasts and stuff like that, and I started dipping my toe into it. And by 2007, I had my own – I was co-hosting a podcast that I had created with uh, a guy called Michael not, – not that Michael Myers, a different Mike Myers, but he – <laughs> so the podcast was actually called Geek Brunch. We did it for about three years together. Uh, it's still going he's there in the 300s in their episodes but um, I stepped away from that like I was going through some really serious personal stuff and I just kind of was burned out on the whole scene I've been doing it for like three years and just between real life and um, just like we were we were primarily a comic book podcast and comics had like comics were flaming out at the time it was getting more and more expensive so I I stepped back I stepped away and I kind of went underground for like three or four years. I disconnected all social media. I like canceled Facebook. I canceled everything that I was on. And I just kind of went underground. And then uh, I came back of like, two, t- let's see, 2013, I think it was. Um, there's a wonderful website called FThisMovie.net. It is a movie website. Uh, movie love for movie lovers is their tagline. And I, they kind of brought me out of the um, the isolation that I kind of put myself in that burnout. They kind of just like, I I discovered this, they were a podcast, a website um, it's founded by Chicago film critic, Patrick Bromley. And he talked about movies in a way that wasn't pretentious. And I just really appreciated that. And so I kind of, um, a fan of what they were doing. And then he was like, you have a really interesting voice. Cause I would comment on their videos and stuff like their, uh, their podcasts and their articles. He's like, you have a really interesting voice. Would you ever be interested in writing for us? And I was like, absolutely. So I wrote for them for five years. Um, I still consider myself a part of the F this movie family. I did. uh, I I wrote over 250 um, articles. I've been multiple episodes of the podcast over the years. They are, um, brothers brothers and sisters actually there's there's, that just keeps growing so i did that for five years and then during that i I just kind of like you know i want to talk more about because they were f this movie and i was like i want to talk about all the stuff that i also love like comics and like music and vinyl and like you know i'm kind of retro themed and so uh all the stuff that i love all my passions i was like i want a place to put all these passions and all these uh, different interests. And it, I, I came up with the idea for cereal at midnight. And I was like, well, what's the best place for cereal at midnight? And I was like, well, it can be a YouTube channel. It can be a website. I can write longer form or more, uh, esoteric things at the website. And then I can, what the things that I think will have the most interest mainstream, I can put those on a YouTube channel. And it's been about two and a half years, I guess we're coming up on three years in the winter. Um, but it's, building continually building and it just grows and grows and i'm so proud of it to be honest with you it's it's really um gone beyond my wildest dreams for you know it started out i'd write something about uh this cool movie or this cool location and you need to get like 10 10 views or something like that but now there's a genuine community and it's just it's so um that's just it's 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 wonderful it's such a it's such a blessing so that's the origin story
0: That's the origin story. And now, so uh, do you spend more time kind of like, where do you put more of your time? Is it definitely towards the YouTube channel or is it more kind of evenly balanced between the website and the channel?
1: It really just depends week to week what's happening. Um, Some weeks are more focused on the YouTube channel, but like this week, um, I'm going to say more focus. It it really, it's it's 50-50. We've put up, so this week alone, as we're recording this, um we have put up uh a review for the the miniseries on blu-ray from warner archive a review of uh the skull an old peter cushing amicus movie we've got a video that went up um earlier this week and then there's another video hitting later this week so it's about 50 50 i tried to do at least one written piece but some some weeks the goal is content every day. If it's not on the YouTube channel, it's at uh, serialatmidnight.com. So it, it is a balance, and sometimes it also just depends on my day job because I am cramming all this stuff into my free time wherever I can find it. Um, so it just depends on week to week, but I, it's in an ideal world, it would be 50-50. Bree, my wife, who is I, – I call her producer Bree because she really does produce this stuff. She's like, you should do this, and you should make this point, and you should write. I'm like, yeah, that's just, that's a great idea. Um, she calls it the Serial at Midnight universe because we, she's like, but you're not just YouTube. You have all these articles that you write, and people write articles for us. So Joshua Jabkuga uh, is an IDW writer, uh, IDW comics writer, and he's also currently a journalist for All Elite Wrestling, AEW. Um, he covers stuff on their website, and he contributes Serial at Midnight. We do commentaries and things like that together, and he's, he has a column that he's working on that he wants to do every month called Sugar Rush. And it's kind of just like a highlight of what's what's new, what's cool in the world of whatever this is, geek stuff. Nice, dude. Nice. And yeah, so
0: you were, because uh, I was definitely going to bring that up, the fact that it's got to be nice to, to have this passion of yours and then to kind of bounce it off of uh, your significant other, which is in your case, uh, Brie, And she's actually been uh, featured on the channel uh, from time to time. So uh, do you find yourself like, there's like any days where you're kind of uh, if you're just not feeling it or if you're just, you know, whatever, does she kind of pick up
1: the slack a little bit? She, uh, yes. I mean, she does. She always has. It's interesting because we have this relationship where if we, we buoy each other, we, we manage to pull the other one up. So like if she's having a bad day or she's burned out on something, I can step in and I can take, take up, you know, the slack or whatever. And she does the exact same thing. And there will be lots of times we had a conversation last night. And I'm like, I just don't know what to do about this aspect of this thing. And she's like, well, here's your solution. And then she just comes in with this great idea and it's a great idea. And I'm like, that's wonderful. So yes, she absolutely does. There's so many videos though. I'm the face of the channel. There are plenty of videos where she's sitting just off screen in a chair watching or listening or whatever. There are plenty of videos or, even articles that are my voice but that are her ideas Uh, it it really is a collaborative thing and though she's not she's just not into the video i mean she she does do them and she's always there to support me but she the video aspect is not her passion she would just as soon probably never be on camera but (laughs) she does you know she does that because she recognizes a need sometimes or uh, um, that it's that it helps and it is nice to have that help. I think that's essentially what you're asking is like, does it, <laughs> how does it feel to have some support and some help? But it's wonderful. I, it would not exist without her. It really would not. Like, I don't know. So I'll say that I don't talk about this too often, but I did cereal at midnight for about a year. Um, on a much reduced schedule, I was doing one video a week and it was very much just a hobby. It was just kind of like, you know, maybe I'll do, maybe I'll talk about something I picked up on Blu-ray this week. Uh, and it was a once a week kind of a thing. And after a year, I was so discouraged because just I felt like I was talking to nobody, that I was just dropping stuff into an abyss and it was just disappearing. And no one, you'd, you'd put something out and no one would watch it, no one would comment on it. And it was almost done. I was like, you know what? It was an experiment. I did it. I tried. You know, now I can walk away and just say, you know, it was worth it, it was worth a shot. She was like, no, you need to give this more time and you need to put more effort into it. If you want this to be a thing, you need to go harder. And so I was like, okay, we'll give it a shot. So I doubled, you know, like I actually at one point I had I, I'm doing like three videos a week some weeks. Some weeks I'm doing four videos a week. So but I the point is she was like, go harder, put more into it and see what comes out of it. And that was the key. And as soon as I started doing that, you know, we're not like we don't have like a hundred thousand subscribers or anything like that. Um, But the community, the the community is what's important to me, that that feeling of uh, family and belonging and just we're all like acceptance and and building that thing. That's what I was looking for. And as soon as I started putting more of myself into it, it came. And it's because of her. It's because of her advice and her support. So all the credit goes to her. Very cool, man. Yeah, that's got to be just – that's like
0: that's got to be the best of both worlds to know that you have that that support system and that you know it might not be her tr- like real cup of tea, but the fact that she'll support you for it and and yeah. and get you through it and talk to me because you 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 seem like you said like it's not a hundred thousand, but you're what you're almost you're past it's, it's, essay, right? Yeah,
1: we're we're at about twelve thousand subscribers. Okay. We have a bigger – I think we have a bigger general audience depending on the videos. But um, yeah, we have 12,000 subscribers, which is beyond my wildest dreams to be honest with you.
0: Now, I'm – like I definitely focus more on the podcast, but the YouTube channel is sort of my side thing. And and I constantly hear – and I just want to see if you have any opinions on it about – or like if you figured it out because apparently it's something you can figure out. This thing that's called the YouTube algorithm. (laughs) Yeah. What the hell is this thing?
1: It's elusive, man. I don't know. And as soon as people think they've got it figured out, they're like, "Oh, they've changed the algorithm." The algorithm is spoken of like like celestial forces or something like like it's like the stars aligning in the sky. I don't know. I I think that I I do I can tell you that I think that my advice for um I, first of all I should say I don't think I'm in the YouTube algorithm. I think that where we've gotten we've gotten just by being approachable and excited. Like we, we try to bring enthusiasm and excitement to our content. And I think that's probably the key, but like you see people that put up a YouTube video of something like, um, I don't know, whatever it goes viral. And then they have like 500,000 subscribers or something like that. But we That's not us. And that's, I, I it, it probably never will be. And I'm fine with that because I feel like that's not, that's that's short-term success. I'd rather have the community like I was talking about. So I, I would say, what I've learned is post regularly, try to post at the same time, post your videos at the same time, every, every video. I do think YouTube likes daily content, but I mean, who can do that? You, that's, maybe that's the goal to build, build toward, but I think that they don't want, so it used to be that YouTube wanted clicks and now I think YouTube wants watch time. So if you were going for like a one minute video of somebody getting hit in the nuts with a baseball bat or something like that, like that used to get clicks. Now they want continued watch time. So like if you've got an hour video, I guess it stands just as much of a chance as, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it's really weird, but, but yeah, so my, my advice is, I guess, just post often, post regularly and go for a sustained you want to keep your audience that's what it is you want to keep them you can you can look in the analytics and see oh i'm losing them at two minutes in or something like that um so yeah that's the algorithm huh i you know i don't think that's the (laughs) algorithm but that's just my understanding of of they want you to watch for as long as you can
0: yeah because i mean like seriously like i'll just be I'll just be watching stuff and I just keep hearing it dropped and I'm just like, I have no idea. Like I, I think I even Googled it and I still didn't not like understand what it was. I was like, is it this like, is it like, is it the matrix? Like, is that what we're trying to to figure out here? Because yeah, I can't figure this out for the life of me. So.
1: I think it has something to do. Like I'm guessing we're all just guessing, but I think that the algorithm has something to do with the amount of clicks that you're getting plus the amount of Watch the, the watch time length from those clicks, plus the carryover to other videos on your channel. Like how many of those are transitioning into other videos, um, plus engagements like thumbs ups or thumbs. Here's the thing: thumbs ups versus thumbs up. I'm sorry, thumbs up versus thumbs down. I don't think that has any effect on. I think they're both valid, is what I'm trying to say. Like if somebody's thumbsing thumbing down your video they're helping your video um so anytime i get like a thumbs down i'm like thank you thank you for thank you for engaging because it's an engagement if they leave a comment so i think all that goes into the sauce is like are people watching the video are they watching other video like is this leading to another video and are they engaging with that video and if all those things are there you somehow oh and monetization that's another thing it's like if you are monetized on youtube youtube now they say not that that doesn't matter but i i think it does like if youtube's going to promote a monetized video if they have a choice of you know promoting suggesting a monetized video versus a non-monetized video i would think that the algorithm would favor something they're going to get paid on but again we don't know for sure it's all just a guess but that seems to be it
0: well if that's true then I'm happy because there's a, uh, one of my videos, it's uh, for some reason, like this thing just took off. Like I have no idea, like, I guess that's part of the algorithm. Like I have no idea why this one video has so many more views and I don't have, like I said, I definitely focus much more on the podcast. So I don't have a a big subscriber base, but it's, and I just want to see if you've heard about this, this, this really interesting side story that I was kind of fascinated by for quite some time. Okay. And I've kind of lost like the interest in it just because I I made the video. And uh, this woman, her name is Sophia Stewart. And because when I had the podcast and it wasn't Eddie Green's 101, when this originally started, it was Terminator 101 because I wanted to really find a kind of niche kind of thing. And I found out about her through some kind of forum or whatever. And so I clicked on it. and she was a woman who claims that she is the real creator. Like she wrote the the scripts for Terminator and the matrix. And she has this book that you can buy called like the third eye or something like that. And unfortunately I did because I was so like fascinated by it. And I was like, I got to like figure out for myself, is this woman factual or is she just off her rocker? Mm -hmm. And I bought the book and going through the entire thing, like maybe 30 pages is the actual quote unquote story. And the rest of it is just all these like court documents that she filed. And this has like been going on for years. So anyways, story short, I made a video about it. Like basically saying Sophia Stewart is not the creator of the, uh, of Terminator. I'm not talking about the matrix because I don't know, like maybe she might be, but just based off of what I've read, she is not the creator of terminator and that thing got so many i it probably has like a couple hundred dislikes yeah. and i was just thinking i was like man i'm screwed because like if that plays into the algorithm then no one's gonna you know like like i have no chance because this thing is getting so many dislikes but have you heard about that at all like like are you familiar with this name or
1: i'm not no i'm not no.
0: Oh, man, it's so it, it's so weird. Like, yeah, she's just this woman. And then, of course, I watched interviews with her because people have interviewed her, and she just doesn't know what she's talking about. She's very <laughs> vague when she talks about it. So that's sort of how, between the book and the interviews, I kind of came to my conclusion. But uh, how many
1: thumbs up does that? Thumbs up does that video have?
0: If it has a couple hundred thumbs down, it probably has maybe I don't know seventy five thumbs up or something like that
1: so it's more thumbs down than thumbs up. Oh, it, it, it is substantially more thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because it's weird. She has almost like a cult following.
0: Like yeah. she really does. Like people that support her and, you know, there's followings for everything really and yes. yeah. And yeah, like the like it it got so bad to the point where I had to turn off comments because Oh wow. Yeah, people were just bashing me and I was just like, look, I'm not I'm not bad calling her i'm just saying that her claims in my estimation from what i've seen she said that this book is what it's based off of and i got the book i supported her it's not true and there's no way that it could be because it's so like you read the story and it's like this has no affiliation with terminator whatsoever at all and uh yeah she's like 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 she's apparently sued james cameron and oh wow like in the back of my head i'm like like doesn't every major filmmaker go through that like like i'm pretty sure they have a pr person that just takes these like claims and and deals with them like themselves Mm because especially if you're that high profile that's interesting it is very interesting it's it's no it's no pun intended it 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 really is a rabbit hole like that you can just fall down and (laughs) and it's just like i mean look she's kind of built her career around this so i mean i guess props to her but it's, like I said, in my estimation, it's all, it's all just lies, but yeah.
1: Well, how has that video done? It, does it, is it kind of just stagnant or does it continue to get new views?
0: It continues to get new views.
1: So see the engagement, if you, I know you don't want to, but if you turn those comments back on, that'll further help get that video traction. Oh, but dude, I was, oh man, like I have a
0: pretty thick skin Yeah, and it got to the point where like people were calling me racist
1: and I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, well, you know what you could do, man? There's a, um, there's a filter. If you go into YouTube, there's a filter that you can put in keywords that it will hold posts, comments that have those words in there. So like, I've got my filter has words that I never even knew existed before these commenters started coming at me. But you could put racist in the comment filter and then every, every comment that comes through that says racist or whatever will not get published. It'll get held
0: interesting and then it's you worth have to look
1: into it. Wait, right what?
0: and then you have to approve it
1: yes you would you can either pr- approve it or just delete it okay
0: so how do you deal with that like like because you were just talking about that like how do you like do you find yourself getting like a lot more positive and then just like a couple trolls on the side or
1: yeah it's mostly because po- we're so like we really are we we try really hard to hit that optimistic positive even if we're saying something that's kind of negative or critical we try to do it in a way that's very um open and and not like you know we don't ever do like 10 reasons that this is lousy or anything like that's just not what we do we always try to celebrate something or bring our love or passion of something to the to the table but so so when you put that out there that's usually what you get back. Is people connect with that? But there are a lot of miserable people out there, and they want to make you miserable as well. And some people really seem to respond to positivity, positivity and optimism with just outright hate. And like today, I, I when I here's my routine. Every morning, I come downstairs, I make my coffee, I get get on the computer, and I go see what the new comments. So I try to respond or engage with every comment on the channel, which is. It takes a lot of energy, but like, I want to give everybody that I want to engage with everybody. Cause like I said, the community, it's about the community for me. I really think that's important. So I see everything. If you leave a comment, I see it and I try to engage with it, but I get like, like this morning I had three com- comments from somebody who was just miserable and they, they all went to, they didn't get pushed. They didn't go to the filter. They all got published and it was just miserable. It's just like your channel is a failure you're a failure, your hair is stupid, you face it, like, it's just really, it doesn't bother me, because look, it, it just doesn't bother me. But, um, I delete it, I mean, I'm not gonna leave that up there, because they just wanna be seen, and if that's your goal, and you're only bringing hatred and negativity, I don't have time for that, so I delete it. But it doesn't really affect me. I think it did at the beginning, because it was just kinda surprising, I was like, here's a video where I talk about how much I love this thing, and people are so angry about it. But, You just, I just have developed a thicker skin, I guess, because people are, there's a lot of miserable people out there. Um, and they want to make you miserable too.
0: Yeah, they do. And especially during like live streams and stuff. And Mm -hmm. I've only dabbled in the live streaming stuff, but you know, even during that, like I remember just a couple people popped in and just like, like people I had never heard of. It's like, why all of a sudden are you just randomly in this live stream? Like how did you find this? Like why aren't you Yeah. You know, it's so weird. It's so strange, man. Like just Okay, so we've established that you're 40 and that's not old and 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 you definitely do not look 40. Well, hold and- on. Can
1: I go back to I just wanted to say I think that's really interesting what you're saying about the live streaming trolls. I get those too sometimes when we when I live stream by myself or when people think I'm by myself. I get trolls that are like you're you're a molester or a pedophile or something like, cause I'm talking about movies on YouTube. So I must be a pedophile. But if Brie is in the video, it's almost always cool. Like nobody, nobody says anything. And if they do though, she'll usually put them in their place and they'll be like, I'm sorry. She's only had, I think she's only had to block like two people on the entire time we've been doing this, which I think is really interesting. Yeah.
0: It's so, I think I actually remember cause, uh, sort of, Maybe this plays into the algorithm, like the algorithm as well, because I'll just open my laptop, and if I'm having like you know an iffy day or whatever, usually that's my go-to. It's like, all right, so the channels I'm subscribed to, have they released anything? And then of course, it just constantly pops up with, uh, you know, your videos pop up, and a couple other channels that I watched, uh, Durant Cinema. He usually pops up, uh, Dave McRae, um, but it is it is strange how they just pop in and I have no idea. And, and I'm pretty sure I know the, the live stream you're talking about. Cause I remember watching it and you're just like, all right, that's not cool. We're going to take you out of here. Yeah. And then, Yeah. It was just like, what? Like that's what you're going to contribute. That's what blows my mind. It's just, I have to imagine like what place and like, what mindset are these people in? that that's what they feel obligated to write
1: yeah
0: it's so strange because i don't have that mindset i i am a pretty positive person even you know if i'm like feeling down or whatnot i usually try to find something to make me positive i i i don't think i've ever once trolled someone's live stream ever once and if i did i might have been kidding like i might have known that person yeah and i might have you know sent like a like a snarky comment or something but you know what i mean yeah
1: no just like insulting a stranger that's really weird to me
0: but people do it damn it is strange but i was gonna say that no no no. i was just gonna say that you know being born in 79 and 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 really kind of seeing the the evolution of because i mean talk about being prime age for all this stuff like you were like it it's probably fresh in your mind like you you kind of saw the entire growth of it cuz i'm 26 and i've seen pretty much it like it really rise but i don't really recall uh a time without internet you know what i mean
1: oh wow okay yeah 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 like
0: like if i it's one of these things where people and i find this really weird like how people can remember when they were like 2 mm. i I can't remember when I was two, let alone remember when I, I think the farthest my memory goes back that I could actually talk about was maybe middle school. You know, Mm -hmm. it's weird. Like, I don't know. Like, I thought I had a pretty good memory, but like, I don't remember a time without
1: having the ability to go on the internet. I don't even know what to say to that. I guess it's just, (laughs) that's your age, man. That's yeah. But
0: But like, what was that like? Like, do you remember when that,
1: like, do I remember time without out. the internet?
0: <laughs> yeah. Like what, like, like Absolutely. what
1: was the, the internet? I remember when the internet became a thing. It was like a, a big deal. I remember downloading the trailer for the Phantom Menace on basically dial up on our, uh, on AOL when you'd sign and be like, yeah, no, we did not grow. The internet is not a part of our, like, I live with the internet. I put content on the internet. The internet does not define me. I'm not always on the internet. I think that's something that like your generation and my generation have different approaches to that because I like being th- i grew up in the time that mythical time which to me does not feel like that long ago but to you guys <laughs> is like like i'm talking about the 20s or something like that but yeah. <laughs> it was not that long ago i'm telling you when you could just get on your bicycle and you could just ride as far as you wanted to no cell phones you didn't have a quarter in your pocket for a payphone or anything like that you just go and no one knew where you were and no one cared they knew that you would be okay no one was going to come get you or come take you And you would just go on a summer afternoon. We had a a used bookstore that was like – I don't know. It felt like a couple of miles. I don't know if it was because I was younger. But I would just get on my bicycle. I'd be like, I'm going to the bookstore. And I'd just get on my bike, and I would go ride to the bookstore, and I would pick up – movie novelizations I specifically remember going and getting the Rambo 2 First Blood Part 2 novelization cuz I wasn't allowed to see the movie so I could but I could read the novelization <laughs> for some <laughs> weird reason so yeah so I rode my bike down to the bookstore they had comics in there that were like 60 cents or 2 for a dollar and I pick up used comics and stuff like that and then when I was done I just casually made my way back I'd stop and talk to friends that lived in the neighborhood nobody knew where I was and nobody was really concerned and i understand that like now i'm like my daughter is that age and like we have you know like we're tracking her on her phone like we know where she is all the time it's just a, a completely different world that i grew up in but it was better i have to tell you it was better As someone who grew up like that i'd much rather take that than have all this technology all the time yeah. like con- constantly connected to wi-fi or whatever there's something magical about just going and getting lost
0: yeah that's what i was getting at it's just like that you're of that age where you were able to experience that and then transition into what we are today. And yeah. as a, like as a culture and like, we're recording this using the internet. We're, 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 we're using a cell phone. like, like, you know what I mean? It's sure. It's bizarre. And like you said, it wasn't that long ago. Like you said a uh, payphone and that instantly got me thinking like, I don't ever remember using a payphone, but my like when I when I hear payphone, tell me if you think this way as well. I just think of this movie called Phone Booth. Have you seen the, that movie? The
1: Colin, the Colin, uh, Colin Farrell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, I saw that in the theater.
0: I love that movie, dude. I love that movie so much. But like, that movie is even kind of centered around how like this is the last phone booth in new york city like (laughs) like cell phones have overtaken everything and it's so funny to me but yeah it's it's crazy and now you said your daughter dude like like where do we progress from here like where 30 years from now we're gonna look back on here and we're gonna be like these were the golden days
1: you know what i mean maybe so i don't know I actually wonder if there's a backlash coming because we've become so dependent on technology. Look, technology is a wonderful thing. I'm not like uh, going off the grid or anything like that. I put, I put content on the internet. Like I understand the the appeal and the, the use of technology. But I do feel like maybe it's gotten a little bit too um, – I mean look, when we've got social media and like kids are killing themselves because of cyberbullying and things like that, I don't know. Maybe it's gotten too much power. So I know there's a movement that I see – Uh, where people are kind of pulling back away from it a little bit they're kind of turning off um if we can find a balance i think it's going to be fine i how like how can it get much bigger than this we're already connected to wi-fi all the time we have cars that drive themselves um (laughs) i I don't know what is what is what is the future going to hold you know they're making another matrix movie i'm like well how what is what's the technology that they'll be commenting on in that movie because you know in the in the matrix Which apparently this lady that you're talking about came up with the story for. (laughs) Um, You know, they're like, they they go into, like, they'll call them on the phone so they can get back to, you know, like they'll come back through the phone lines or whatever. Like, how are, what are they, are we going to go through, um, they could go through Wi Fi now or something? I don't know. It's interesting.
0: Yeah, because that was kind of
1: like, uh,
0: well, in the first one, they definitely went through pay phones, but like in two and three, didn't they they use cell phones from that point on, didn't they? maybe so
1: two and three are the ones that i've watched the least i think i've only seen them once or twice and that was enough for me
0: yeah same here same here it is interesting but i mean that's like the same thing it's they have the like because i'm obviously very much hyped for the new terminator and Mm -hmm. it's just i've avoided all trailers i've avoided everything i'm not pulling another genesis i don't want stuff spoiled for me and Mm -hmm. But I, but I honestly wonder, like, I do know, I don't know if you've been following it, but like, I do know that, you know, like the main antagonist is essentially a Terminator that can split into two and kind of function as two Terminators. And I got to thinking, I was like, okay, that's a cool concept, but it's still just another variation of the T-1000. Yeah. Like, like you know what I mean? So like, it's, that's how far ahead, uh, Cameron was back in '91 mm-hmm. when they did T2. Yeah,
1: no, I agree with that. I, I, I'm dubious about the. I'm glad that Cameron's back in some creative capacity for this movie, but I am trying very hard to reserve judgment on this movie because I haven't really. I know the, you're the Terminator guy. I haven't really loved the Terminator movie since Terminator Two. Oh, me, um, me either. Like which the, like, I saw as you know when it came out. I saw Terminator Two. Like that was a huge so deal. Jealous.
0: So jealous.
1: It, it was, it was epic. It was fantastic.
0: Did you know, I have I have no idea why they haven't done this anymore. When T2 came out, they actually had a specific convention for that movie. No, I don't, I didn't know that. Yeah. It was in California and it was, to, you know, obviously to promote the film, but that's how big it was. And it, it's like, they don't do that anymore. It, it was just a convention. It was like, Cameron was there Arnold was there dressed in character. Oh, wow. Uh, Eddie Furlong was there in character. Crazy. It was so crazy. And like they had like the props from the movie and everything. And I've seen footage from it. I'm just like, first of all, really insanely jealous of whoever went to that thing. And second of all, why don't they do that anymore? Why don't they have movie specific conventions? Obviously, it would be more towards like the Marvel stuff. But like, you know what I mean? Like, that'd be really cool to to go to a convention just for this movie that hasn't even come out yet, but yet you're, you just know you're hyped for it.
1: Yeah. That, well, that's another thing that's changed talking about how, how old I am, how ready for retirement, you know, moving into the retirement <laughs> home I am now uh, is how conventions have changed because when I was a kid and even when I was not, even when I was a kid, I mean, like when I was your age, conventions were not what they are now. Now they're like these huge mega events with all these pop culture guests. Um, But they weren't always that way. And that Terminator thing sounds kind of cool. That maybe sounds like a precursor to what we have now where you have all these, you know, San Diego Comic-Con with the Marvel, all the Marvel celebrities there talking about their experiences on the film. Um, You're right. It used to be, it was, it was like a more focused, it would be like, you know, you'd have a Star Trek convention and you have a, star wars convention and you'd have this this terminator thing sounds really cool now they just throw it all into this one big blender and and everybody's there and it's this huge thing by the way you used to could go meet people for free you didn't have to go buy an auto and now i think people have always wanted a little money for their autographs and stuff but it used to, it wasn't the business that it is now you could just go up to somebody and and say hey and like i really appreciate your work thank you for taking the time to come here and they'd be like, Oh cool. Now it's business. Now you have to like buy a ticket and go stand in line. <laughs> and then they send you to another line and then you go behind a curtain. Like now it's this big experience, but it used to just be, you know, everybody be out on the floor and you just walk by and be like, Hey, thanks. I like your so-and-so. So yeah. it's, it's yeah. been interesting to see that change. And I'm gonna, and definitely not like dissing any
0: like major conventions. Cause I don't know about you. I'm a, I love going to conventions. I love the feeling of being in this kind of communal place of like everybody here, I might not agree with like their day-to-day beliefs, but I do know that I can agree with their, like their nerd beliefs, you know? Yeah. And it's so, it's so beautiful that this one spot. So like if it's at a convention center or are at hotels and whatever, it's, it's just this, this great feeling of everybody in this space has a respect for everybody and, you know, I go to a lot of horror conventions and, 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 and to see the cosplays and everything is, it just, I don't know. In, in troubled times, it gives you hope.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Is really what I'm trying to say here. But that's crazy. I didn't know that there was a time when celebrities didn't charge because it's getting crazy. It's getting so crazy where you almost have to pay separate. So, like, if you want an autograph, you have to pay 80. And then if you want a picture, you have to pay another 90. 90. And then if you want to interview them, because I've actually gone to a couple of these things and, you know, have been like, hey, can I interview you? Can I film you and, like, actually interview you? It's like, okay, yeah,
1: that'll be 30 bucks." It's like, really? Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> it's kind of ugly. Um, I understand everybody needs to get paid for their time. And I know so many of these people, are, this is kind of how they're making income these days. And I understand that. And I don't mean to disparage that. But there, there was – there is – there used to be more of a sense of just like gratitude and um, less like we're up here and you're down here it used to be more of a communal kind of a thing and that's largely disappeared for better or for worse I'm not necessarily I, I do think it's kind of ugly that some people are charging what they're charging but um, yeah charging thirty bu- 30 bucks for you to essentially promote them Feels a little gross to me.
0: Yeah, but what's even grosser? So if that's a yeah, that's a word. What's (laughs) even grosser is perfect example, right? So I I went to go talk to Robert Patrick, Mm -hmm. and obviously the T one thousand, and I was like, "Hey,
1: Doggett from the X Files." Let's throw that one out there too. There you go. Yeah, he was Doggett, right? I think he was Agent Doggett.
0: I don't know the character, but I do know he was, but he, yeah, he was definitely X-Files and, uh, he was, you know, he was at this, it's called spooky empire. They have it here in in Florida Mm -hmm. and, um, I got up to the table, right. I paid for everything, got the autograph, you know, I even wore my, uh, T2 3d hat because at one point there was an attraction at universal studios based on terminator Mm -hmm. and, uh, he was in it. And I started asking him because I like to ask questions that they don't normally get asked. Cause I feel like they get asked a lot about, you know, yeah, what was it like filming Terminator two? It's like, all right. right. Yeah. A thousand times. How was it wow. working
1: with Arnold Schwarzenegger?
0: Yeah. So I asked a variation of that, but on something that probably he doesn't get asked a lot about, I was like, so how's it like working with Arnold on Terminator two, three D. Mm. Um, and you know, he was nice about it and everything. And then I was like, hey, so I have this podcast. I don't even want to film you. Can I just record you and just talk to you for a few minutes? And he was like, he didn't say anything. He just looked over to his agent. I assume it's his agent at the end of the table. And the agent said no. And it blew my mind that Robert Patrick didn't go, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. We can do this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You're Robert Patrick, dude. Yeah. Like you can tell your agent no, like I'm going to do this. Like Your agent doesn't run your life. You know what I mean? Maybe he does. That's crazy to me. That's crazy that you give that agent that much power that he can tell you who you can and can't talk to.
1: Another possibility is that he just didn't want to be the bad guy, and he was letting his agent take the heat for it. I guess. I don't know. I never thought about that. Huh.
0: Either way, it put a bad, But it just puts a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah. And I literally left that convention like that cause like that was the final thing that I was doing that day. And I was like questioning my fandom. I was like, why am I a fan? If I was treated that way where I paid that much money and I couldn't get a couple minutes with him, yeah. you know what I mean? I, I, I think that if that happens a lot, they have to really kind of think about that. Like I even sent like tagged him and stuff on social media. I was like, you know, letting him know I was upset about it. Like it, it made me question why am I such a super diehard fan? Did anything come of it? Did he, did he respond or acknowledge it at all? It didn't, but I've talked to dude. I had Michael bean on this show. Yeah. Like, like, and he did that for free. 100% for free. See, that's old school. That's, that's awesome. Like, you know what I mean? But that's, that's what kind of motivated me. It's just, it was that time I left and I was just like, man, why am I doing this? And then immediately I was like, well, well, he's just robert patrick he's not like if like if james cameron did something
1: like that i'd be like damn but james cameron would not talk to you for under five million dollars <laughs> <laughs> you would have to sell him he'd have to have a contract and royalties um no but you know tr- maybe to play devil's advocate here i'm and i don't know that i really feel this way but just trying to look at it from other points of view they probably get asked that question dozens of times every single appearance that they make because everybody has a podcast everybody has a youtube <laughs> channel or if they don't have a youtube channel they just want a video for their phone so they can show their friends i bet people are constantly asking can i just record you for a few minutes can i ask you a few questions i mean they're there are like thousands and thousands and thousands of podcasts on when i went to so i actually got to cover atlanta comic con uh this last year as press and so uh, like we're sitting there, and the guy comes out, the, like the the panel moderator comes out. He's like, before we even get started, ask your questions, but do not ask if somebody will appear on your podcast or your YouTube channel. Be respectful. So they already know that's probably so prominent, uh, probably one of the first. Now, you legitimately do have a podcast and a YouTube channel, and you've talked to a lot of these people, and this is your focus. But they probably get asked for people that have like five subscribers or something, and they maybe they just have – learned in time that it's don't do it because they're always doing it i don't know maybe man like
0: (laughs) how many conventions like like because so where uh sorry i forget where you're located
1: i'm in alabama
0: so how many like is alabama like a big convention spot
1: no not really i mean they have an alabama comic-con they have i mean we do have conventions but they're not on the scale like you're in orlando right
0: I am on Orlando, yeah. So you
1: have MegaCon, which is amazing. I've been to MegaCon and I, I had a great time. Now it's been it was years ago, but it was one of the best convention experiences I've ever had. Um, probably two thousand five, maybe two thousand six, something like that. But uh, that's a huge convention with like a lot of media celebrities. Alabama has gotten better, but uh, Atlanta is kind of a hub, and then Nashville is another hub i wouldn't say alabama is a central location for any of this stuff we do have like i mean, like rick flair came to the alabama comic convention this year um so it's not you know like you know marvel actors or anything like that but um you have to travel a little bit so atlanta we're like two hours two hours and 15 minutes from or um sorry from atlanta and so most of the cool stuff comes to atlanta we just you know ride over Nice, nice.
0: Now, do you plan on, uh, like, like is Alabama where you're going to stay rooted or is, do you see yourself moving at all to another place?
1: For now, this is where we are um, just because, you know, we have a, a child that's growing up here. And for for the time being, uh, this is where we're going to stay. But I'm not particularly rooted outside of that. Like, you know, 10 years from now, I have no idea where I'll be. I've yeah. always wanted to live like it. I, so I grew up, in, I, I was born in Florida and nice. where uh pensacola
0: oh dude that's not that far
1: no no that's crazy yeah I, I grew up in florida i'm sorry i didn't grow up there i was born there i spent I, I was there um until i was three actually but i i grew up like south alabama and we would constantly go to uh pensacola fort walton stuff like that i had family in jacksonville so we're always right down to jacksonville that's actually yeah. when we, we we took our our mega con trip we were in jacksonville i believe it was and we just Headed over to Orlando, Um, but I've I've always like part of me wants to go back to Florida and part of me wants to go to California. I don't know that either will happen, but those (laughs) that's the coasts. I want to be on the coasts. Well, let's see Alabama. I've never been
0: to Alabama, but I can't imagine because one of the things that I just dread about Florida is the freaking humidity, man. Like it just kills me. It kills me. Cause I've been to New York. I've been to even Georgia, like Georgia, is nowhere near as humid as, as Florida. And I'm just constantly going, why am I still here? Like, I love Orlando. I love that. This is like you said, you know, for someone like me, this is kind of one of the, like the, like the hubs really of conventions and the fact that you have the theme parks right, like right here. And, yeah, it's the great spot to be, you know, it especially, is. especially if you're in a spot that because, uh, you know, Orlando, unfortunately, is kind of crime ridden. But if you're in a spot like where I am, it's pretty safe. And and I don't take that for granted either. It's, but it's just like, man, I got to get out of here at some point because this heat is killing me. So I'm just kind of like going like like hearing you want to come to Florida. I'm just like, don't do it. Don't well, you
1: know what's interesting is that we have – all the heat that you guys have, we have we have the same humidity that you guys have. But you have the infrastructure. Like Florida – we love Florida. We go – like we used to go to Disney twice a year. It's been a while because they keep raising prices, and it's just becoming more and more of a um, – it's like, oh, do we pay the mortgage or do we go to Disney? <laughs> uh, but you guys have so much there. It's just – it really is a hub for the stuff that you're talking about. Florida has become – just in the last 5 years or so it's really become this central one of those central locations for fandom and for culture you know the the disney stuff all cuz disney now disney owns marvel and they own fox and they own star wars and so all that stuff's happening in the orlando area and then on a superficial level or not even superficial might not be the right word but like you guys the tax situation down there you have all the tourism tax come or the tourism revenue coming in so your roads are really good like when whenever we're coming back from Orlando, we know when we hit Alabama because the roads immediately get bad and filled with potholes. Like the interstates just become become <laughs> the worst. But it's like it's like at the state line. It's like oh, we're driving on a cloud now. Um, so you guys have the same like we do have the same. Actually, sometimes you guys are cooler temperature wise than we are here. I don't know what it is about that, but like we're we're in this weird belt where. It's it's miserable, and I have to ask myself: I'm like, why am I here? I'm here because my family's here, and I have to support. You know, we have our daughter here. I also have like my parents are here, Bree's parents are here, so we have obligations here. But um, when the time comes to go somewhere else, I'm looking, and Florida is not that bad. It's hot, but there's so much there, and you've got the you're never more than like two hours from a beach. Um, True. Yeah, but
0: yeah, but then you got all these hurricanes, like. That's that's a big issue. Like this last one that came through wasn't bad. It didn't uh it didn't like do much. Yeah. But yeah, there's years where you'll you'll lose power for I think up to a week is the longest I've had no power, and that's just miserable. Yeah. It's just it's just it's enough to drive you nuts because kind of going back to what we were talking about, you know, it's you lose power and if you don't have a generator you're back in the caveman days. That's
1: <laughs> true. Yeah, when I when I lived down on the coast, um, we the the same hurricanes would come through, and they'd come right up into the Gulf, and and I I think we were out power without power for five days at one point, um, and it was rough. I remember like we'd go to you'd go out just so you could have air conditioning because places like I remember one time we went to a Cracker Barrel because Cracker Barrel had air conditioning, so like oh we could air conditioning you could walk around Walmart or something like that because they had air conditioning cuz the generator, generators or whatever. Yeah, I don't miss that for sure. I don't miss that.
0: Nice. Yeah, well in cracker barrel you can go to the uh what the uh they have that little store that you can kind of walk around and <laughs> yeah, check out check stuff out and check out the greatest uh country hits on CD.
1: That's right. Pick up a sarsaparilla. <laughs> Get the best of uh, Johnny Cash's gospel songs on CD. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and some Reba McIntyre. Yeah, and pick up a
0: slinky and uh, do that parrot. <laughs> That's do, right. uh, do that parrot that like uh, – do you know what I'm talking about? Like that parrot that like, – I do records. know what
1: you're talking about. Yeah.
0: Like, yeah, like plays it back.
1: <laughs> Kids love those things. I think my daughter wanted one, but she never got one.
0: Oh, man. So like, okay, so you have a daughter, like – Talking about Orlando and the theme parks, has she uh, has she experienced Disney or?
1: Oh yeah, she's a huge Disney fan. Nice. But growing up in our house, she's like an OG Disney fan. She does not like the remakes. <laughs> we like the remakes more than she does. She's very purist about this stuff. Um, she still has not seen Beauty and the the the, the, the quote live action version of Beauty and the Beast because she's a purist for the original. She's like, no, no, they shouldn't have made that, and I'm not going to watch it.
0: Very cool, very cool. But, like, so, like, the movies, but in, like, as well as, like, the theme park, has she actually been to?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Nice. She loves Space Mountain, Splash Mountain. I mean, she's been a bunch. Um, The mountains are her favorite. She also is a huge Haunted Mansion fan, as we all are, I think. Like, who doesn't love the Haunted Mansion? True. Uh, Right, not the movie. That's, yeah, that's true. Although, (laughs) you know what? I have to confess. Sorry. I do have a little bit of a soft spot for that for that movie I, I i recognize critically that it's not a great movie but there's something about it that i do find kind of charming I know, I know guilty pleasure yes it's a guilty pleasure but i feel no guilt about it whatsoever it's like yeah i like it
0: what are some of your i know we're kind of just kind of all over the place here but like it just kind of hits me i'm just like yeah like what are some of your uh, favorite guilty pleasures
1: Again, guilty pleasure implies that you've, you're you not – like you're a little embarrassed about it or you wreck it. Like I don't do that. Like if I like it, I like it. So I, I'm trying to think. Movies that are conventionally bad that I like. Uh, hmm. See
0: if you have any that I uh... – that i've seen or haven't seen
1: i don't know man can you name some name some movies that are conventionally considered like i heard a list the other day and it was like raiders of the lost dark no no it was indiana sorry it was indiana jones and the temple of doom as a guilty pleasure i was like that's not a guilty pleasure that's a legitimately good movie seriously if anything kingdom
0: Kingdom of the crystal skull should be on there
1: okay i'll take i like that one i i have defended that movie um yeah that's a good that's one that i would say i like Um
0: dude i'm uh because i'm actually going through this guy's body of work right now uh have you seen kung pao
1: i did see kung pao yeah i saw you doing a video <laughs> about steve odenkirk right yes yeah uh i saw it i don't remember it i watched it when it was new like i checked it out on dvd when it had just come out and i don't that, i've only seen it the one time
0: oh uh, dude it's that would definitely be considered it's it's definitely like a cult classic now okay uh but yeah, that that is definitely something that I think is. I think it has like a thirteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: Oh, that's not fair.
0: Yeah, and like I don't know, like for like for whatever that's worth, I I always say that now. It's just like whatever this is worth, this is what it has on Rotten Tomatoes. I know people don't really care about that much, and rightfully so. Is that uh, true?
1: People don't really care about Rotten Tomatoes anymore. In
0: the circles I talk to, yeah, that's, you know, that's
1: good. Okay,
0: it's just sort of like so what if it has a a fifty nine percent? It's that means nothing to me. And it's just like, thank you, seriously. And if anything, don't focus so much on the critic, for whatever reason, stay away from that critic, look at the audience score. Because that audience score usually really is what's really reflective of it. So like, perfect example, Kung Pao, 13% from critics, based on like, 25 reviews. So that, I mean, that's, that's not a really good number of reviews, first of all. But you look at the audience score, it has like a 79.
1: But so that's, now. it's been a while again, since like I saw that movie when it was, what it's like 15 years ago, right? That was like early to mid two thousands. 2002. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. time flies, man. <laughs> um, He d- wrote and directed that, right? And he stars <gasps> in it. Yeah. Like that's basically his citizen Kane. Yeah. And he, like he made the movie he wanted to make. It's not like it got away from him and it's like a, um oh, what's that movie that everybody talks about now? It's like so cool to talk about the the Tommy oh, you know, the, the movie What is it? Yes, The Room. That's a movie that you can tell was not what the guy thought it was. But Kong Pao is exactly the movie that Steve Odekirk thought he was making. he made the movie he wanted to make. He achieved it, and it was never intended to be like an Oscar nominated film. He just wanted to do something fun that captured his sensibilities. So I think it's great that you're going to celebrate stuff like that because, um, yeah, this is like a guy just being silly. And, uh, did you ever, who is the guy behind the bat, the thumb movies? That's him. That's him. Okay. That's what he does, right? Like he's just, (laughs) he's just goofy. He's just having fun. I think that's really cool.
0: Dude, that's so weird that you brought that up because first of all, I thought that that is like so niche. Like, I thought that was a niche of a niche. Like, I think
1: it is, but
0: that that you even know about that because later today, because he just he just announced like this is his like most recent project and has to be over five years. This uh, December, he's releasing to kind of coincide with the new Star Wars. He's releasing his second Thumb Wars, uh, thing called the Thighs of Sky Skipper. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I went on the IMDB page and it only has one person listed in the cast and her name is Jenny Tran. And I got in contact with her and later today she's coming on the podcast. Oh, wonderful. And, yeah. Just because it kind of coincides with this whole, I'm um, covering his stuff and yeah, and she's been cast in it. So I'm definitely going to kind of pick her brain about, you know, what's it like working with Steve Odecker? Cause I think he also did Ace Ventura too. Yes. I, I honestly think this guy's great. <laughs> like, yeah. Again, he doesn't aim for anything other than I just want to make a movie that people hopefully find funny. Yeah, he's just trying yeah. to have fun. Yeah, there, there's nothing wrong with that.
1: No, there's not.
0: But that's what I love about your channel because you also kind of do the stuff that you wouldn't see normally covered. Yeah. And that's really what kind of draws me to your channel the fact that you'll cut, like, like, you'll talk about Scooby Doo. Who else talks about Scooby-Doo?
1: Apparently a lot of people are talking about it on the internet because they're outraged. Really? <laughs> Scooby-Doo and the return to Zombie Island has triggered so many people. I had no idea, but so many people it's, – it's like – it's honestly like The Last Jedi all over again. People are just like, this movie ruined my childhood. I don't mean oh. to. I don't mean to belittle anybody. It's just it's been a really interesting experience to see. Like like it's Scooby Doo. It's a cartoon about a talking dog. <laughs> like how upsetting can it actually be? But it it what we grew up with is sacred to us, and I, I understand that. And we tend to attach ourselves to these things, and they give us some identity. That's one of the things that I've kind of learned as an aging geek is that all these things that I grew up with that I love, like Ghostbusters and uh, Star Wars is another one, they, they're currently in this cycle of just like, like Hollywood is just cranking out sequels and remakes and any recognizable name that they can find. And I understand, I, I get it. But I've had to kind of separate myself from those things bringing me identity. Like I used to be the Star Wars guy. For years, I was the Star Wars guy. If anybody had any questions about Star Wars, or they like, have you read that novel? Be like, yeah, I have. Is it any good? Be like, it's okay. It's got this, this, this. Like, I was the Star Wars guy. Now in the the era of Disney Star Wars, I've kind of had to detach myself a little bit from that because I have to like, I like some of what Disney's done. I don't like some of what Disney's done, and I have to say, well, I am not Star Wars. Star Wars does not define me, and it's been this really interesting experience of just kind of letting learning or being able to find a way to say like, this is not, though I have loved this in my life, I still love this thing, but that doesn't mean that I love all things like this. So some people might have that experience with Scooby-Doo as they get older. It's like, I love Scooby-Doo, but I do not have to love every Scooby-Doo movie that comes out.
0: Very true. But those also could, uh, kind of focusing on the the, the live action ones because those are the ones i'm definitely more familiar with those could kind of be considered guilty pleasures because definitely definitely uh i love them because that like that was right when i was growing up and and i remember watching matthew lillard run around and i was just like yeah that's shaggy like that is that's
1: shaggy that's cool that's see i was in college when those came i actually i might have been out of college when those came out so what year were those? Those were early two thousands as well, right?
0: Yeah, I, I want to say the first one is also two thousand and two. Okay. And then I think what the second one, Monsters Unleashed, that's 04. Yeah. Somewhere around there. I don't know.
1: I was but, married uh, in 04, so <laughs> I was I was not watching those. But I understand that people love those.
0: But since then you've like you've obviously seen
1: them. Mm-mm. You haven't seen them? No, I've never seen those. No, oh, but you're the Scooby Doo guy, (laughs) so we'll see. That's the thing. Like, I'm I like old Scooby Doo, I like Scooby Doo, where are you? I like the cartoons. I'm a big Hanna Barbera fan. It's interesting that we can all have these different touchstones for these things, Uh, and that's happening with Star Wars now. There are people who loved the original, like, I'm an original trilogy guy. And then there are people that grew up during the prequel era and they love the prequels. And now there are people who are growing up with these sequel movies and that's going to be their Star Wars. Same thing seems to be for Scooby-Doo is like because it's such a perpetually continu- – like it's always going. They're always putting out new content. There are people like you who identify those movies as being the core base of Scooby-Doo. I do not. I think that the Hanna-Barbera series was that's, – that's my Scooby-Doo. Um, not that I – like I need to see those movies, especially knowing James Gunn was involved in them. Um, I need to see them. Yeah, he – he. I want to say he wrote them. Huh. I'm going to go to IMDb while we're talking just to double check. I didn't know that. We're talking about the Matthew Lillard, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar.
0: Freddie Prince Jr.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's see. Yeah, Yeah, James Gunn wrote the screenplay.
0: Get out of here. Wow. That's like – see, that's the stuff I love where it's just like I would never in a million years have associated those two names together. Right.
1: And he had came – he he was from um, – hold on. Let me look at the second one. Yeah, he wrote Monster the second published. one too. Yep. So he wrote both of those. Uh, but he'd come out of the, the Trauma film system doing work for Lloyd Kaufman at the time. And for him to go to Scooby-Doo was kind of like uh, – I know because cause Trauma is like the super low-budget, very punk rock company that does – um, kind of kind of transgressive stuff from time to time I mean they're the people behind the Toxic Avenger and uh, so he was in that system making these very subversive very low budget kind of dirty gritty not the gritty is not the word just kind of dirty <laughs> I don't know words are failing me and then he goes and makes Scooby Doo he writes Scooby Doo and it was kind of like his big break and now he's making Guardians of the Galaxy and then there was that tweet that he got in trouble for yeah disney fired him for for a brief time and i was like this is they knew about of course that's the whole controversy is that they'd known about like everybody knew where he came from these these companies knew his resume but yeah he's uh he's a a very low budget indie horror kind of a guy who has made it big and i love him for it to watch the scooby-doo movies if for no other reason than to see his first like big corporate work
0: yeah exactly but then of course what then they uh Cause since then they've done more live action Scooby Doo's and it's just sort of like for me, that's sacrilegious. It's like you don't have Matthew Willard as shaggy, because I don't know, he's my shaggy, sort of like what you were saying. It's just yeah. But I must say, I am very familiar with the original Scooby Doo. Where are you? Like that's just Cool, cool. Yeah, that's that's something that I also remember watching and even reading like the little novels. Like they had uh I remember I feel like they were just kind of condensed versions of the episodes. And I remember picking those up like at Walmart and, and kind of going through them. And then I would buy the DVD that I knew the episode was on and watch it and see how it compared. And, nice. Yeah, it just brings back good
1: memories. But you know, Matthew Lillard still does the voice for Shaggy in the cartoons. Or oh, often yes. does. Like in the, in the Return to Zombie Island, it's Matthew Lillard. Nice. I think he's the only one that's doing that that's reprising his role but he's there dude he was i don't know i thought he was i thought
0: he was perfectly cast out of everybody in that movie i was just like yeah he nailed shaggy to a
1: t he's got the voice for sure i can't speak to the performance on screen because i haven't seen it but he's got the voice for sure (laughs) ah so good man now one of the reasons that i hold scooby-doo so like sacred or that I love it so much is because as a kid I was not allowed to watch that cartoon. So a lot of my adult fandom for that is because it was forbidden fruit. Yeah. That definitely makes
0: sense. I mean, sort of like what you're saying about Rambo how you were kind of shielded from that as well but you could read the novel. Yeah, which is crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah that is funny to me. <laughs> it might have been a situation watch- where like I didn't ask, I just kind of assumed and did it anyway. I don't remember. It's entirely possible because I was a pretty, I, I found my ways to rebel. Like, well, I can't watch the movie, but no one said I can't read the book. Oh. Huh. <laughs> Plus, I don't
0: really do that anymore. That's like, that's another thing that's kind of fallen off. Like,
1: novelizations?
0: Novelizations. Yeah. Like, every once in a while, I'll be in a Barnes and Noble or Books a Million and I'll come across a movie coming out. Like, obviously, like the. They'll do the Stephen King stuff, but that's already been out there. Like they'll just put the the poster right. on the cover. Yeah, yeah. Like it, like it really is hard to come across like a a novelization of a new movie coming out.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know why. if they do it anymore. I think they I do wonder. on a very small scale. Like I, I bet the new Terminator movie is going to have a novelization, but it used to be for everything, uh. and they'd be based on obviously they were being written before the movie was finished. So they're usually based on like a first draft screenplay or like, you know, an earlier draft of the screenplay. So there was always stuff that wasn't in the movie. That was really the appeal of them uh, at the time before, you know, obviously before DVD and stuff like that. If you got the novelization, it was like seeing deleted scenes. Cause you'd be like, this isn't in the movie. There's like a whole sequence here that isn't in the movie. And it's cause it was from an earlier screenplay. Very true. Yeah, that
0: is very true. But then of course you'll get those ones that literally are the movie. And then I think that's a big reason why. I don't know. I'm just speaking from like personal experience. I remember reading a couple of those and going halfway through, why am I reading this? I already know the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like I know where this is going. Yeah. That might be a reason why. It's just uh, it's kind of like a predictable thing. It's like the movie's already out, so why read the novelization? Like I bet you, once that movie comes out, those things see
1: a drop in sales. Oh yeah, they they that's why they come out before the movie comes out, so they capitalize <laughs> on like the hype Oh yeah, because I'm sure you're right after the movie comes out. There's no point, especially now in the in the day in the day and age that we live in where stuff's on DVD or digital or whatever, like three three months after, sometimes less than that, but just like weeks after the theatrical debut of something, you can just go buy it and watch it wherever, however you want to. But it wasn't always that way.
0: And thank you for reminding me about that. Cause that's definitely something I wanted to make a point to touch on with you is okay. sort of similar to me. Like we're definitely physical media guys. Nice. And uh, I like, I'm a big, big, big believer in, you know, don't ever get rid of it. It's, it's a beauty. It, it, it makes life worth living. And, <laughs> you know, the second it's all digital, it's just a big chunk of me is gonna, cause it's like, obviously blockbuster going away. That was a, that was a big thing for me because I do remember being able to go into a blockbuster and walk around and yeah and check it out. But when they went away, I was like, okay, that's fine. That's fine. I still got my, I still got my stores that sell it. So like there was a sort of similar to GameStop. There was a place called MovieStop, Yeah. And you could walk in and it was just shelf upon shelf of blu-rays dvds 4k like they had a little selection right around here Mm -hmm. and it was heaven and then that went out of business and it's just like i'm getting to like i'm getting so nervous because i just know it's 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 coming it's inevitable but what do you think about that like how long do you see physical media being around for still
1: i see it being around for a long time really Yeah, I'm not a doomsayer for this sort of thing. I think as long as there is a market, because look, money drives everything. Sales are what drives things. I think we're moving into a period where less people are interested in owning a disc because it's not convenient for them. But that doesn't mean that the discs are going to go away. I think we're just transitioning into a period where everybody can be served. Digital audiences can have what they want. Physical audiences can have what they want. Listen, the PlayStation 5 was just announced by Sony, and it's going to have a 4K optical drive. So millions, literally millions of people are about to get a new Blu-ray, Blu-ray and 4K Blu-ray player. So, and the games are going to be obviously they it will also stream like you know PlayStation 4 now. If you want to buy a disc, you can buy a disc. If you want to download it from the PlayStation Store, you can do that. It's whatever works for you. I think we're entering into a world of whatever works works for you. But the idea that physical media is quickly going away and soon will be like relegated to VHS, no. They're not even comparable because VHS was an obsolete medium, and it was replaced by something that was more technically superior and that had more um, – that was just improved upon. And streaming is not an improvement over a disk experience. Um, we, we're moving towards that. And I think maybe one day it might be. We might have like 8K scre- streaming at some point. But I know people, and not like people, not like the proverbial, I know of people. I literally know people that don't get internet at their house because they're too far out, away from the city. And so they don't have internet at all, let alone hide, you know, like high-speed internet. They have no internet. And that speaks for a lot of people. Millions of people in this country alone do not have access to high-speed internet. So we're not there. And I don't think we're even close to being there. Um, and I, I, I recognize doing what we do at Serial at Midnight. I can see that it's a lot less cool and a lot less accepted to buy physical media. Like, we get comments maybe not daily but very often like you're basically just collecting garbage you could stream all of those from a service like well one i would have to either rip everything or try to buy them all digitally on itunes or some other similar service and so much of what i own is not on a streaming service it's not some of what i own is not even on itunes it is only on disc things go out of print all the time sometimes they come back in print but things are Always going in and out of print, so those discs really do have value. They have equity. That's another thing that people maybe don't talk about enough is that your purchases have equity. It's not like you buy a car and you drive it off the lot and you lose ten thousand dollars immediately. Like disc purchases have resale value. You can they're tangible. If you don't like them, you have something you can share, sell, trade, whatever. I don't. I just don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. I think at least ten years at least okay well dude i
0: hope you're uh, i 100 hope you're correct and yeah 10, 10 years yeah i mean that definitely but like in our lifetime i think at some point it'll be it'll be sort of like what, what like what happened to vinyl it'll just become like it'll be really like the labels that's really what it's going to be so that's really what i'm more worried about it's not the fact that physical media is going to go away entirely it's the fact that i won't be able to get in my car and go to a place close to me and look around and touch the stuff you know what i mean
1: that's okay that's a more real fear that's that's understandable because that is happening
0: um like fye uh like really that's i mean best buy uh stuff like that
1: yeah for me all most of that stuff's gone fye we had two fye's here in my town We're in the biggest town in Alabama, and two we had two. They're both out of business. They're both gone. Um, All of our. I'm trying to think. Like Best Buy has obviously condensed seriously, uh, gotten rid of a lot of their media. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I I do think that things kind of rise and fall. Vinyl never really went away, and we always had at least one music shop that still sold vinyl. But yeah. But the thing is they were selling a lot of used vinyl and you get new albums, but they weren't putting out that many new albums. Like with media, there's 50 to 60 new DVD or Blu-ray releases every week. Most weeks, not every week, but most weeks there's dozens and dozens of releases. No physical store could ever stock that. They just can't. So all the smaller stuff, the boutique labels like Severin, Vinegar Syndrome, uh, Kino Lorber, you know, all the all the not Warner Brothers, Universal, all the smaller places, those are probably really going to disappear from stores if they haven't already. Like I don't even have a store to go I don't have a store to go check for that stuff because they've all gone out of business. But uh that is that is coming. We are moving to an internet society. Like as we were talking earlier about the internet taking over, like I think that is the future. Is it will only be on the internet. So You'll have funny. to order it.
0: Yeah. <sighs> That just takes the fun out of it. That like that that takes the hunt out of it. You know, it's like, ooh, I, I really hope Best Buy is gonna have two more copies of this thing so I can pick up one of them. You know.
1: Yeah, the hunt, man. The hunt is so much. that's such a huge part of the fun of being able to drive and find something. I'll tell you a story. I don't think I've ever told this story on anything we've ever done. So this is a story. This is exclusive, just for you. An exclusive. <laughs> yes. Um, when I was in. High school. This was in the nineties. Uh, there was a video store. I was looking for the Ewok movies. You know the Ewok movies. The uh, the the Ewok. This is the Battle for Endor. It was the Ewok Adventure, and the, I think it was the the Battle for Endor. There are two Ewok movies that were done by Lucasfilm in the eighties. Yeah. One of them has Wilford Brimley in it. Um, and I was looking for those. They were long out of print on VHS, and I was I wanted them because I was I was the Star Wars guy, so I wanted them for my collection. And I had one of them, and uh, I think I had one of them. Anyway, I was calling every video – so this is like VHS. This is pre-DVD. I was calling every VHS rental place in town to see if I could find this movie. And finally I called this place. I don't even remember how I found out about this. I I got a tip that the store that was like an hour away had a copy of one of the Ewok movies for sale. They were trying to get rid of it because no one was renting it anymore. And I remember driving with some of my cousins. It's like Christmas time, and some of my cousins were in for the, the holiday, and we drove this hour trip out to this old mom and pop VHS VHS store, and I bought that used, worn pre rental copy of this Ewok movie, and it was like the holy grail. It was like I had, it was like I had found like. I don't like, I don't know the Holy grail. It was like this thing that I never knew that if I would ever get my hands on and then having it, that, that hunt, it was the hunt. And you better believe I cherished that thing. The same thing happened with Willow. I actually found a copy of Willow on VHS in Pensacola, Florida on a day trip. Cause I was looking for Willow again, pre DVD looking to own Willow. No one had it. The store in Pensacola, Florida had it, drove to Pensacola, got it. And it was added to the collection. So there, you can never underestimate the actual quest for some of these things and how much it actually adds to the, the value, the story behind the collection.
0: Yeah, that's it. It, it. it gives you a story versus I added it to my cart.
1: Yeah, yes. yes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Totally. Man, that's awesome. So where do you um, – because that's, like, like that's what you envision physical media being. First maybe. of all, look at – yeah, maybe. Like looking behind you in your videos – you got shelf upon shelf of this stuff, and I—I I would imagine that's not everything.
1: No, that—that's what you see behind me is also on both the left and the right side of the wall too. That you like three walls, three of the four walls in that room look just like that shelf.
0: And that—and that's pretty much everything. Or is there more?
1: Uh, no, there's more. There—that's oh like my <laughs> the living room has been overtaken as well. It's an issue. It's a problem. Is that what you're gonna ask? <laughs> is it a problem?
0: Do you, uh, uh, is this too much of a like a like a does this term not apply to you? Like, hoarder,
1: that's well, that's somebody actually suggested a <laughs> video one time. They're like, What's the difference? Could you elaborate on the difference between a collector and a hoarder? And I was like, I don't know, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> I consider, see, it's all subjective, right? Because I consider, so there's somebody in our family that collects like newspapers like they don't throw away newspapers they don't throw away phone books they have stuff stacked up the stairs like this is like ephemera stuff that was not meant to be kept stuff that was meant to be consumed and disposed of i would consider that to be a hoarder because it's collecting things that have no real value but they do to this person so i don't know it's it's a tricky it's a tricky conversation i would say when it comes to media the reason I collect these things is because, as I was saying, they have value. It's not like I'm collecting like pogs or I don't, I don't even know if you know what pogs are, but like <laughs> this thing in the 80s and the 90s where there were these little cardboard cards. You collect them, you could flip them on your thumb and like compete. There was like this game. It was really silly, but they had no value. There's this thing that was like, okay, like beanie babies. Do you remember beanie, but do you have any idea what a beanie baby is? I do. Okay. <laughs> they have no real function other than to just look at yeah <laughs> but i would argue and it's, again it's totally subjective i would argue that the media collection is a preservation of art it's not something that you just look oh i have that it's over there on the shelf it's art and having access to that art especially doing what we do or always trying to shout out obscure corners of of things like that i would argue that having those things is valuable and that it's actually an archive and not a hoard but just as easily somebody could be like no you're not gonna watch the ewok movie you were talking about like that's hoarding (laughs) so it's completely subjective for me it's an archive it's a collection that's living and breathing and i'm always digging into it i'm always pulling things off the shelf talking about them watching them checking out the special features again like we do, some people just buy movies and sit them on a shelf, and they don't watch them. We really are active with our collection, so I don't know what is the difference difference between a collector and a hoarder. I think it just depends on the person, the definition. I don't know. I like that. I like. What that. do you think? Where, where are you at with that? Um, I would, I would kind of side with
0: you. I was thinking as you were talking, I was like, and I'm sure you're the same here. Like I have some, like some films, I have multiple copies of and like i don't know if that applies to you but uh, yeah i do yeah like and even on the same for like the format like i'll have so i'm a big james cameron fan obviously so i have all of his films and i've actually kind of made it my like one of my like missions in life kind of a sad mission but to to, (laughs) to get every single james cameron film in every single media format in like okay so like let's say it's a dvd i want every variation of the cover of a dvd of the terminator terminator 2 aliens all that stuff like that's how so at that point i think that becomes hoarding because (laughs) you don't necessarily need all those copies and essentially they will just sit yeah
1: you know what i mean i do yeah that's a fair that's that's fair but it makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really all that matters. Whether it's hoarding or not, if it makes you happy, it's none of anybody's business.
0: Yeah, it, it, it it's harmless. You know, if, if anything, it's just harming my bank account. Yeah. You know, true. It's, it's, I don't know. It's fun.
1: It's what you'll have to deal with eventually. Hopefully, many many years from now, is <laughs> what you're going to do with that in your later age. And that's something that I see some of my older friends dealing with is that they come from where I come from because that now one of the side effects of my age and growing up in the eighties and the nineties is that I I do think that that's one of the reasons that I feel the need to collect this stuff is because I come from a time when if you didn't have it, you did not have access to it. And I I mean, I do feel that way still, because there's so many things where if, if you don't have it, you don't have access to it. Like. The Marvel movies are always going to be on streaming, but do I want Disney Plus for the rest of my life so that I can watch them? Um, Stuff like that. But I I know a lot of people who come from where I come from, but they're now in their 50s or they're moving into their 60s, and they're thinking about the impact of these collections on their children and how they're going to have to deal with their collection should something happen, like the kids, because the kids have no interest in that. I think that's why I score so many things at thrift stores is because these people die – And then the kids are like, I don't want this. And then they just donate. Yeah. So I don't know, but that is something we're all going to have to face at some point. That is the unspoken conclusion of a collection is that at some point we are going to have to do something with it. Yeah.
0: I leave my, I leave my physical media collection to you in my will. (laughs) I don't want it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And they really like my daughter, has some appreciation for physical media just because she's 13. So she's a teenager. So she's in this, you know, she's, she's a streamer. She's in the streaming. She's very much a product of her time. She kind of appreciates physical media, but not really. And I can tell you, like she's not interested in any of it at all. She's not, she doesn't want anything to do with it. She's not going to collect it. And I've talked to Bree and I'm like, listen, if something happens, here's who you call you do not give this stuff away. We're sitting on a gold mine, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, "Okay." So she knows what to do with it. I so she is. She. She. The, I should also say, Brie is super supportive of the physical media collection. Awesome, awesome.
0: That would suck if you had like just that little voice in the back of your head going, "Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this?"
1: Yeah, and I know I recognize so many voice Like their their significant other is like, "I don't understand this. We yeah. can stream these. We don't have to own these." This is just taking up space. Never once has Bree said anything like that. Now, it is a constant discussion about storage because as the collection continues to grow. I mean, we're at a point now. People just send us things. They're like, we want you to have this because we don't have room for it, but you do. So, so here, take it. And that's lovely. That's absolutely wonderful. But we are at a storage crisis, so we're going to have to figure something out because there's, that's, that's another inevitable conclusion is there's only so much space. What do you do with it when it gets to be too much? You have to think,
0: is it, uh, is it, uh, cause I know that pretty much every collector that has a giant collection like yours is you kind of line them up. What, um, what is it? Vertical? Vertical. So at some point you might have to, isn't it like more spacious if you kind of horizontally store them? Or is that just me thinking totally inaccurate?
1: Mm, I don't know.
0: Because I know it's I, not ideal, because then, of course, you just have a pile. But...
1: I wonder. Wouldn't they take up the same space no matter what direction they're standing?
0: <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Is it
1: circumference? Or uh,
0: mythbusters. We need them.
1: I will say, we've built those shelves that you see in the back of our videos because they maximize every inch of available space on the wall.
0: So you mean... Oh, okay. So you didn't order those. You literally
1: built them from your, from, from nothing. Yes. We, but there's actually a video on the channel of us building shelves for for the room. Yeah. We wow. build those. They're super cheap. You can build a shelf for like 12 bucks. I mean, it's, it's insanely cheap. You go to, for those that want to do it, there is a video at cereal at midnight. If you just go to cereal at com and search for shelves, there's, we walk you through it, but um you go to Home Depot or Lowe's or a building supply store and you can buy, you have to measure. So it's not like set measurements. It just depends on the size of your wall and how much you want, how big you want your shelves to be, but you use two by four verticals, cut to the appropriate length. And then it's, uh, I think it's two by two, uh, horizontals, which are like a dollar 25 or something like that a piece. And you can get, I think like eight feet from one horizontal and you just nail it together. We show you how to do it in the video. And they they sit. There's no bottom support. They literally just sit. An edge sits on the edge of the uh, like the DVD or the Blu-ray sits on that two by two piece of wood. And uh, two by two does not sound right. I think it's two by one. I think it's a two two inch by one inch uh, squared piece of wood. It sits there. So there's like an inch. Of your DVD case on the wood, the rest of it is on nothing, and the back of it touches the wall, and that's enough to keep everything in place so you're maximizing every inch of space that you have on that wall um, and you can fit way more stuff there than you could on like an IKEA shelf or something like that that's now why we that's why we did that I guess one of the other
0: issues is when you because like you said that you know. 10 years from now you don't know where you might see yourself moving the shit sorry moving the stuff (laughs) like yeah yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. you
0: know what i mean like that's another thing it's yes
1: man well the last time i moved the collection was not nearly as big as it is now it was like half maybe less than half and it was a pain but it is what it is i mean that's it's the price i'm willing to pay and i will i'm not gonna sell stuff off like i mean there's so many things in my collection that if i sold i could never get access to it again there's a lot of rare stuff in there just things that are gone things that i've had for 20 years i have dvds that i've had for 20 years um i'll just have to do what i have to do i'll have to get a u-haul or i'll have to i mean if it could if it came to it and i was moving out of state or multiple states away it might take two trips in a u-haul or something like that but we're in it. That's just what we're going to do. We got to do what we got to do. Nice. I like it, man. I like it. <laughs> we're committed <sighs> dedication.
0: Well, look, dude, I, uh, before I let you go, cause I know that, uh, you got a, uh, a busy day ahead of you, but, um, I guess the final thing I just wanted to ask, cause kind of talking to you now for almost two hours, it's, you know, I feel real, uh, I feel really like, you know, like we've uh, been jiving here and everything. And what do you, so I feel comfortable asking this. What do you see as your lasting legacy? Like, what do you want at the end of, at the end of the journey serial at midnight? What do you want that to represent when people look back on it? Assuming people can look back on it, you know, hopefully YouTube is around forever. Um, What do you want it to be? Like, I just like asking that question to people. Like, what's your, like, what's your legacy?
1: Well, the goal of our channel is really to just spread passion. And it's not to get tons of subscribers. It's not to to get sweet ad revenue. The goal of the channel was to, sh- to share and spread passion and to get other people, hopefully, to shed some light on things that make us happy and get other people to either check those out or to talk about the things that make them happy. So if people, you know, however many years in the future, if YouTube is still around, if those videos are still around. Like I have the videos backed up that like i own the videos they'll i'll put them up on any platform i can but i would just like people to be happy and to be like oh this guy has love and and appreciation and wonderful things to say about this and i would either like to check this out or he inspires me to talk about something that i love i'm just trying to make things a little bit brighter i just want to make the world that sounds stupid make the world a brighter place that's not exactly what i'm trying to say but I do want to just spread a little positivity. That's what I'm trying to do is just spread a little bit of positivity. And if I can do that, if that's any sort of a legacy, if I've made, maybe brought a smile to people's face or shined a light on something that might've been off someone's path and they might not have known about it. Otherwise, that's really all I'm trying to do.
0: Well said, well said. And I, and I just not trying to kiss ass or anything. I, I, I really do think that you're doing that, man. And, and, uh, Keep it up. You know, obviously you know, like I don't see you slowing down anytime soon. Like you said, you're you try to do this day to day, so Yeah, uh, I might
1: just die. That that's the the possibility, is that it's completely flame out and just have like a, a massive stroke or something like that <laughs> like that. Like what happened? It was lack of sleep. He just collapsed <laughs> at his keyboard.
0: Uh, well, hopefully, it's during a live stream. That way, people can at least know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then the trolls would be there and they'd be like, Look, he he, he literally died on camera. LOL, R O F L.
0: He had it coming. Yeah. Uh, but no, dude, seriously, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. And uh, definitely, we'll stay in touch with you and uh, hope to do another collab very, very soon, man.
1: Absolutely. This was so much fun. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me. This has been an, an absolute blast.